I bring up the acquisition because I think for me, what I recognize is I might've been holding on for too long to the role that I was in because it was my own company and we were so close to this acquisition. And I just wanted to make sure that our teammates were taken care of in that and got it through the process. And when that didn't go through, I recognized, well, is my heart in it anymore for the right reasons? And am I hanging on for the dangling carrot when I could also be challenging myself in different ways? Looking around us, it's clear, we're living in a time of transition. So many of us are grappling with personal and professional turning points and asking ourselves, what now? As I'm currently navigating this very complex question myself, I'm on a quest to talk to regular people like you and me, who have also found themselves in the messy middle of life hear their stories, and learn how they're taking bold action to move forward with clarity and conviction. This is the What Now Project. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the What Now Project. After our little hiatus, I'm excited to share a couple of conversations over the next few episodes that will focus on entrepreneurs. But these won't be your typical entrepreneurship stories that we've become so accustomed to over the past decade or so. It seems the past 15 plus years have really been the golden age of entrepreneurs. And while founders certainly weren't invented in the early aughts, our cultural fascination with them really seemed to accelerate after the Great Recession when we saw more individuals eschewing corporate life to launch their own companies. And some of them pretty high profile, particularly in the tech scene. Thanks to the confluence of, well, a pretty bad job market, obviously, and also technology, entrepreneurship became a viable career choice for so many more people. Technology, in particular, enabled a couple of phenomena. First, the ability to start a business that you could just begin from your computer screen with a cheap website or social media, and also the ability to invent new products and services enabled by technology that allowed us to do things like hop in strangers' cars when we needed a ride or create videos that anyone could distribute to anywhere in any corner of the world, just to name a few. This is the oversimplified TLDR version, of course, but I'm sure you've noticed it as well. Everywhere you turn, TV, magazines, social media, there are more and more stories about entrepreneurs. And maybe you've even dabbled in entrepreneurship yourself which is why amazing stories like the one we shared from Chris recently continue to be incredibly useful for those who are trying or want to try to become business owners. But there's also the other side to this coin that doesn't get a lot of airtime. And after talking to these individuals that you'll hear from in our upcoming stories, I discovered I wasn't the only one who noticed this. It's almost like this taboo conversation that no one dare speaks of. And that's the conversation of what happens when you're an entrepreneur no longer. Yes, it's true. Not every entrepreneur remains an entrepreneur forever for various reasons. And I really want to tackle this topic to bring that to light, to show what happens when entrepreneurs decide that entrepreneurship is no longer for them. So whether you're a current entrepreneur or not, I believe you'll find something in these stories that resonates with you. Because entrepreneurship really is no different from life in general. It's not linear, it's cyclical. And a lot of the same feelings we all experience during big life changes, feelings of shame, guilt, 
failure, uncertainty are no different when an entrepreneur goes back to nine to five. But as my interviewees have said countless times throughout these conversations, you can always go back. So to kick things off, I'm really excited to share Nicole Vasquez's story. Nicole is the Chief Operating Officer at Refresh Miami, the oldest and largest technology community in Miami with over 15,500 members. But before this, Nicole was widely known and is still widely known, of course, as one of the co-founders of DeskPass, a hybrid work technology company connecting remote workers to a global community of on-demand workspaces. So basically, it's like the class pass of co-working spaces. Nicole is an expert community builder and author, having sold two co-working spaces with online communities and publishing an ebook titled How to Plan and Launch an Online Community. She's had over 50 media interviews, including Barron's, Cheddar News, and Thrillist. And Nicole enjoys discussing her experiences with the goal of being a helpful resource to others in their development journey. And she's certainly bringing that to us today in this conversation. So let's hear what Nicole has to say about this transition from entrepreneur to nine to fiver and the very important questions she asked herself along the way to find a role that fulfills her just as much as entrepreneurship does. So, Nicole, I think what would be really helpful is just to hear more about your entrepreneurial journey. I know you worked in corporate, then you transitioned into entrepreneurship. would love to hear about that and sort of what's transitioned over the course of time as far as entrepreneurship is concerned in your life. Thanks, Tanya. I'll try to do a 30-second overview that helps us. Don't get the timer out, but because <laughs> it is quite the journey. But as you're correct, my first job was in event production, and from there, I did every aspect of a business, I like to call it. I, I worked in a company and oversaw each department of running a business except for finance. And so my joke is that's why I'm not that big of a numbers person, but you know, you always have to work with someone who is. And so I worked my way through administration, operations, sales, and marketing. And when I was about 26, 27, where I was working for a great company, it's a Fortune 100 company. And I always thought that I would just rise the ranks at a great company and become CEO. And that was just the way that I saw success in business looked like. But I hit a point around 26, 27, when I started to recognize that I wanted to do things on my own and I felt capable of doing those things. And I tested the waters by starting a dinner party company. And that was a awesome passion project. Broke even, probably lost a few dollars on each event, perhaps even. But it was something that gave me the confidence to be an entrepreneur because I executed it well. People loved it. It just wasn't scalable because it was such an intentional one-to-one experience, well, one to 12, but it gave me the confidence and it gave me a way to go out and start networking. And so I started meeting people and that's when it really lit me up inside to say, I can do something. And it was very ironic because I was going to events that brought entrepreneurs together. And one of them was at a big co-working space in Chicago called 1871. And the rest was history. I fell in love with co-working, obsessively researched and nine months later, opened my own co-working space, built that up with their onsite for 10, 11 hours a day for the first year and a half, almost two years. And then that is where my entrepreneurial journey continued. I started a second co-working space in partnership with a friend and then started DustPass. We started it on the side in 2015 and then in 2017 went full-time with it. So I was running two co-working spaces on my own when a friend approached me to work with him on DustPass. We both worked on that part-time until we proved the concept. And in 2017, I sold the first space and started working with Thespass and we co-founded the new company together. 
and then built that for the past seven years, scaled it globally and hit a point in my career where I said, you know what, the company is doing great. The team is doing great and I'm ready for my next challenge. And it was at that point that I also had just had my son. And so of course, everything was in the air thing from who am I in this esoteric sense to what do I want to do next? And it was just very serendipitous that at the time I was speaking to a friend of mine about a, a different opportunity that came my way. And she approached me to be the COO of Refresh Miami. And after 10 years of being an entrepreneur, I joined an organization that I absolutely love and is mission driven. And here I am after a 10 year entrepreneurial journey, taking that mindset and applying it to an organization that I love. I had no idea that you had started a dinner party business. That sounds really amazing. Having planned events in many capacities before, I know how much upfront work that is and how hard it is to scale. So kudos to you for even trying it. I think it would be really helpful to hear more about the building phase of desk pass, what that felt like for you, where you were at that point in your life, what really allowed you the space to really build a business. What do you think the keys to your success were during that time? What's great is looking back, I can see how each company allowed me to do the next stage. I call it like the lily pads that I was on one and I picked up a certain skill set that allowed me to leverage and move to the next one. And yet each one, the only time that one jump was a direct alignment was when I opened one coring space and then opened a second one. Even that one wasn't the same because it was twice big and it was in partnership with the Fred. But the reason I say that is my friend, Sam Rosen, approached me to build Deathcraft with him because he had a design company. He has a technology background. He goes, I can build this technology. I know how to do it. I can bring in great people, but I need a people person. I need somebody like you. And you also are a co-working space operator. So he said, I need you to bring the human aspect of the business and help me build this network of co-working spaces from the ground up. And so what's great is it allowed me to leverage the operator experience that I was doing at that time with the previous business still that I have. And that was when we started building DustFast. And we built DustFast, which is now a network of co-working spaces around the world with more than 1,500 partner spaces around the world from zero. We started with the Chicago market and then we built that up. And so what's great is that we, I mean, I remember adding every single space one by one. And I had, because I don't have a technical background, but I am very tech savvy. I can kind of joke around, like walk the walk and hold the conversations with, with the tech side. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Starting a startup and scaling it is the most riveting, exciting thing of business. And it's, it's just real. That's why so many people, I think, figure out what stage of business they prefer. And for me, that scale up is the most exciting because you can make quick actions that have a lot of impact and you can try new things and it's, it's enthralling. <laughs> So when Nicole talks about Dust Pass's success, she tends to be a little modest. The fact is that she and her co-founder didn't just grow Dust Pass over 1,500 partner spaces. They are now in over 40 cities across the globe, like L.A., London, Brisbane, Mexico City. They've been featured in publications like Fast Company, Business Insider, Inc., and Ad Age. They're a pretty big deal. So... I'm sure you're probably thinking what I'm thinking right about now. I think maybe the big question is why leave that all behind? It's a, it's a deep question. And 
One that even when I told my teammates, I had a call with every single one of my teammates to break the news that I was moving on from my own company. They all said the same thing. Wow, we never thought we would hear you say that. But if you are moving on from Dustpath, one, we're so happy for you because we know that it must be an incredible opportunity that really brings you joy for you to take that. And that was really meaningful for me. And I think I, I give that story because I never thought that that day would come either, unless it was that we were a technology company. I thought that was the only time that I would ever leave as if we were acquired. And what hit me is we have never officially put ourselves up for sale, but we have had two acquisition opportunities fall through by no fault of our own. The first was, was during COVID. And actually that was a silver lining because the company has grown significantly since then. And the second one was, again, no fault of our own. And we spent a lot of money in due diligence. And it actually was a great partnership, but it was right before, it was at the 11th hour and the company said, there's a recession coming. Our board believes it. And they had to pull out at the last minute. And it was that moment where I realized I love the company and I've been scaling it for so long. And I love that scale of process. But now the company is in an established place and the stage ahead is, while still would be an incredible thrill to continue to build, I also could bring someone else in who has that experience to scale the company by adding another 20, 30 people. And I recognize, is that what I, what I want to be doing at this time? And also I bring up the acquisition because I think for me, what I recognize is I might've been holding on for too long to the role that I was in because it was my own company and we were so close to this acquisition. And I just wanted to make sure that our teammates were taken care of in that and got us through the process. And when that didn't go through, I recognize, well, is my heart in it anymore for the right reasons? And am I hanging on for the dangling carrot when I could also be challenging myself in different ways? And also I was co-founder and chief people officer. And before I went on maternity leave, I hired two new people, upskilled an existing manager, and it did my job. The, the team was running well. It was optimized. And I had a moment, a very humble moment of saying, someone else could easily replace me in this. So if there was ever a time for you to move on, it would be now. And by not having those ties, so, well, I'll just wait another year. It allowed me to feel free and make a decision based on what I want to be doing with my time. And I just also, I love that industry. I continue to be tangential to it. It was more like, I just wanted to do the next challenge, but it had to be mission-driven. And I wasn't out there looking at job boards, applying for roles, although I did look at them to explore what paths. Um, the opportunity was also serendipitous in terms of all the cards stacked up for me to want to take that opportunity. So there was a lot of things that came to play to make this decision. It definitely wasn't a knee-jerk decision. If anything, it was very heart-wrenching because I loved my team and my company that I built, that I helped to build. So a lot of strategy and a lot of thinking behind it. It was not an overnight decision. What Nicole is talking about here is known as founder syndrome. This inability of a founder to relinquish control and power as their business their baby grows up and changes, as do they. This is a powerful realization because some founders hit this point too late and end up causing unintended consequences as a result of their iron grip control of their companies. What you've identified here is something that I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't identify in time, the signal of when something isn't for you anymore and it's time to move on. I think we've seen the big front page splashes of entrepreneurs or founders yeah. gone wrong when yeah. a company grows and matures and they're not really aligned with that. 
and bad things can happen, you know, yes. when, when that starts to happen. But even beyond that, beyond the external impacts of the impact that that can have on a team or a culture, I've worked in small businesses pretty much my entire career, small to mid-size. And sometimes I found working with founders that they do hang on for a very, very long time. And you can tell when yes. it has become a burden and that can impact them personally, but it impacts everyone. And I think what you really were able to identify is before it really gets to that point that this isn't really for me anymore and it's time to move on. And there are other people who are just as talented, if not more so, who can carry this forward. I really appreciate you sharing that perspective because I think it's a really important one for a lot of people who are founders. So many great points, Tanya. Thank you for that. Right, life happens too. I mean, I had a baby and I think that is another big thing which is like, who am I? What do I want to be doing with my time? And, and there's so many questions that come up and people change. And my joke used to be, I would be honored for the day that I have to be replaced in my own company with somebody who's, what do they call it? The gray haired executive, because he or she has done it before. And that would be an honor to me. It means that I helped to get our company into a place that it was doing well, where we need to bring in somebody who knows a lot more than me. And so I've always been that person saying, I'm not fully in it, or I'm no longer the expert. That's okay. I defer to experts. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Also, people just lose, they lose the passion. And I think another thing is I didn't want to do that. Consider it like a relationship. I didn't want to be the person in the relationship that is starting to look outside the relationship, having wandering eyes. I have too much love and respect for that other person to do that and, and not give 110%. So <laughs> weird analogy, I guess, but it felt like that. What Nicole had to share next might come as a surprise to you. I know it certainly did to me, but even the most successful people battle this anxiety, especially when they're embarking upon something new. So in that moment, I'm sure that there are probably some feelings, some hesitations, some thoughts that you had as you're making that transition. Can you maybe share a little bit about how you were feeling in those moments? There are a lot of emotions, everything from fear to imposter syndrome, to worry, to excitement and enthusiasm. So there was a whole gamut of, of feelings. And I think it's important to recognize that it was not an easy decision. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I went through this really big self-exploration phase where I asked myself questions. Who am I? What do I like to do? What do I not like to do professionally? And try to chart it all out. I kind of was thinking that maybe by doing all the self-exploration, I would hit this point of, oh, you should be X role at this company. And I never hit that point. Although I think that would be really cool if there was a technology that got me to that point. But instead, it allowed me to get really comfortable with what I want to be doing and what I don't want to be doing. I spent a few nights going through job descriptions on LinkedIn. And I will tell you, I felt imposter syndrome. Although I've been very successful as an entrepreneur and I've had some really great experiences. And yet looking at those job descriptions, I was looking at some consulting companies and are my skills relatable? This scale-ups that I've been in, are these growth hacking things, are these people operations that I've been doing for startups, are they going to cut it in the big corporate world? But what it also helped me to realize is I didn't want to be in those roles either. So I had to fight through those negative feelings about myself. And I think that could vary for each person. Each person might approach that differently. But I think I balanced it out with reason 
Now, immediately there was like role that seemed really appealing, but then I started feeling, oh, maybe my skills wouldn't transfer. So then I started looking at training programs that might get me to feel more comfortable. And I had to take a step back and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you are capable. Let's find what you want to be doing and what's a good fit where that when you hear or see that opportunity, you will feel like that is made for me. And so I had to keep pushing through that, knowing, okay, I know I want to do something else, but what is that? So I did a lot of self-exploration, fought a lot of those feelings, sifted through a lot of those feelings, I think is the better way to say it. I received those feelings and I sat with it. And I talked with some select people in my life, of course, my husband and a few people that I'm very close with who know me well. And that was very helpful. She just kind of took it step by step, but it was quite an emotional journey to go through that. You talked a little bit about how your colleagues reacted to the news that you were moving on. I'm curious about how your closest family and friends reacted. I think maybe starting with your husband and sort of moving outward, what were their reactions? What were their thoughts or feelings about it? I laugh because I feel like as an entrepreneur, a lot of my friends, we joke around, our parents don't even know what we do in the first place. <laughs> Everyone was very happy and surprised because like I told you, as my colleague said, we never thought that you would. I mean, you've lived and breathed dust pass. And before that, your previous two companies for so many years. And they were just like, if you're doing this, we know that you are a thousand percent behind it. But it's interesting because a lot of people also said, wow, this makes perfect sense. And they also said, this also is leveraging what you've done before. And also, look, I live in Miami now and I started my businesses in Chicago and then I moved down to Miami, thankfully for being able to work remote. But I live here now. My son is born here. We own a home here. We plan to live here for a long time. And so I think another thing was there's that life aspect of I want to build up this Miami tech ecosystem, which is the work that I do now, because this is my home and I want to get more involved. And so a lot of people just said, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you did that in Chicago and now you live in Miami. I totally understand you doing it there. So while people were surprised, I think a lot of people were able to recognize, wow, you're really leveraging the skills. And you know what they also said is, you're going to be so great at this. And that really gave me a lot of comfort because even I feel like for friends and family that aren't in the entrepreneur world and don't know what I do, I have a friend, no joke, she said, I still don't know what you do, but it seems like it's a good fit and that you really enjoy it. So, hey, I'm happy for you. Even a lighthearted joke like that was helpful. So the alignment, I think it made me feel that all of that mental traversing through who am I? What do I want to do? What am I good at? What do I not want to do? It all paid off in the end because I did find the next place that I want to be. So I came out the other side and people were very happy for me. I think this goes to show that people are a lot more understanding of life shifts than we give them credit for. Not that we should make our decisions based upon the opinions of others, but I think our fear of what will people think or say I think those fears are often a little off base. So you've talked a little bit about how you entered your role that you're in right now, but I'd love to hear about that journey from doing that sifting and winnowing through the job post, seeing what wasn't for you and how you got to where you are today, because your excitement about what you're <laughs> doing today is so palpable and obvious. I think we would all be so lucky to find a perfect fit role after having such a successful business. So tell us about what that path looked like. So I like to say that there are two components here that I'm very proud of. One is who I am as a person and what I've done in previous roles paid off because it led me to here. It gave me the opportunity and I'll explain that in a little bit. 
And the second one was that I made myself available by sharing that I might be interested in another opportunity with someone else. That conversation led me to the one that got me this role now. I'm COO at Refresh Miami, a organization here that supports the Miami tech ecosystem. We have more than 16,000 members. So it's a COO role. And the woman who is the executive director, I found her many years ago and I started coming back and forth to Miami and I wanted to slowly start to get involved in the tech team here. I found the organization. I reached out to her and I believe in mutually beneficial exchanges, right? I just loved the work that she was doing in the organization. So I sent her a message. I offered her a bunch of free desk pass credits and I said, I'd love to just take you out for coffee and learn about you, see how we can support and how I can get involved. And I truly cared to support her in the organization. Fast forward, we have stayed friends for many years. And so what happened is I told her that I had met a gentleman who has a venture firm down here and we were in discussions of me being their COO. And because she's in venture funds, I called her and I said, would you mind as a friend hearing this out? And at the end of the call, she said, you'd be great for that role. But I have to be honest, I've always wanted to hire a COO here at Refresh and you'd be perfect for it. And I just never thought I could find someone that would fit the role. And so if it wasn't for my relationship with her for many years, if it wasn't for me approaching her from this wanting to be supportive of her and her business, which is who I am as a person, which is my community building background, my ethos, we had this friendship as a result of that. So it's not because I all of a sudden reached out to her and tried to get a job from her. It's because I had this relationship many years. And so the reason I bring that story up is you are who you are for a reason and certain things might come into play later on. So maybe look backwards and say, who are the people that I've known that I can talk to that might have an in with them? And the second one was that gentleman that I said that I was exploring a COO opportunity with him. It was like the first week I went back to work after maternity. I said, you know what? I'm still feeling that I want to move on, but I want to be intentional about it. And I don't want the word to get out, right? I was off some company and I don't want it to sound like I'm cheating on anyone, right? <laughs> and I went to this event and it was a networking event. I started talking to this man and we just had the best conversation. We just really aligned and she had a venture friend. And I just went out on a limb and I said, man, we get along really well. The company seems like it's in the stage of the company that I really enjoy. So I said, look, do you have somebody in a COO, chief of staff role or investor relations? And he said, no, but I always wanted to hire someone. Why? And I had a moment where I was like, ooh, do I say anything? It's, I never had told anybody outside of three, my husband and my two close friends, and I said, you know what, I'm going to take a risk. But it was a very calculated, very strategic. And I told him, keep this between us. And I felt confident and safe in that environment to share that. So that was the other side of the coin is I opened myself up to somebody who I thought that could be a great opportunity. And if not, he would know people in the realm that I'm in. And I felt comfortable that he understood the confidentiality aspect of it. So yeah, one part is it came from within. And the other part was pushing myself to do that. But that's my story. And of course, everyone's story may vary, but there's a part of vulnerability. There's also a part of strategy, but there's also a part of finding how your past can influence your future. Absolutely. We've been talking about that a lot on this program about how important relationships are. And I noticed that definitely when I was transitioning from entrepreneurship back into full-time work, I had the same experience of going online and looking at these job posts and being like, oh my gosh, like, mm. Yeah. What is happening? My experience has been so varied over the past four years that I can't fit into a box here. And even though I would apply and I would get interviews and I would get pretty far in the process, they never quite fit right. So the role mm -hmm. I'm in now, 
I got that through relationships. And I know we're not the only people to discover this. I think all of the job advice in the world really hammers this home, but I just want to re-articulate that for anyone listening that those relationships are important. I think as an entrepreneur, you form so many relationships over the years that are so random and you just never know how they're going to develop and how they're going to be fruitful for you going forward. So I'm wondering if there are any opportunities that you've realized as a quote unquote nine to fiver that you might've been missing as a full-time entrepreneur. Yes, most definitely. When you are an entrepreneur, your work is your baby. It's like having a child, it's like having a newborn that not only always requires your attention, you want to give it your full undivided attention. And I'm not saying that I don't treat my current organization like a startup. I absolutely do. I think about it all day and night. And I choose to work in the evenings because I want to, not because I'm required to. But I will say that when you don't have to feel like it's a 24-7, you do enjoy work-life balance more. And I did luckily get to a point as an entrepreneur where I had work-life balance and I made it a point. But there are points like on the weekends, how about this? I'll say this is a very specific thing is I can absolutely check out of my work on the weekend if I wanted to. And I say that because I also find myself working on the weekends here and there because they're projects that I want to get ahead on before the week, but I don't need to. My teammates have asked me for that. And I will give my past team credit at DustPass that we were past that point as well. The company was established enough that on the weekends we could check out. However, as a co-founder, if a big issue came up, we would absolutely want to talk on the phone or get through it. But I think now I see what it's like to truly, if I need to Friday at six o'clock, not think about work until Monday at 8.30 a.m. I absolutely can. And that's a beautiful thing. And I think what I recognize is that people deserve that and it shouldn't be taken for granted and it should be a given. And so I think about that when I will absolutely in the future start my next business, putting that in place from the beginning and making sure that even as a founder, I'm not putting myself through that. So yeah, I absolutely noticed the differences between that. It's peace of mind. It's (laughs) balance. It's not the urgency that the whole world is going to burn down if you don't do this one thing right now. So yes, there's definitely a difference. I can relate to all of that. (laughs) But I also wondered if Nicole ever had second thoughts or wistful thinking about leaving entrepreneurship behind. What's been the toughest part about going from being a founder with some level of control to an employee, even in a leadership position like COO? Is there anything that you miss from being a full-time entrepreneur or is it too early to tell? That's a great question. I think the one thing is that it might be an an identity thing and I have no worries about it. I think for the longest time at any event I went to, it was... I'm Nicole and I'm the co-founder of DustFast or even before that, I'm Nicole and I'm the founder of this company and I'm doing this. The first thing was I had to adjust that. I had to say, I'm the CEO of Refresh Miami, not I'm the founder of Refresh Miami. But what's interesting is because of the role I'm in, I'm able to talk about my entrepreneurial experience because it gives background as to why I'm in this role and why I'm the right person for the role. But I do think there's an identity thing. It was interesting to rewire my brain to to talk about an organization that's not mine, but because I love it so much, there's nothing negative about it. I don't feel any different saying that I'm CEO versus I'm co-founder or founder, but that's because I found a role that I'm passionate about and it brings me joy. 
Thank you for sharing that identity piece. That's another thing that I really relate to deeply. You know, it's a matter of habit after so many years of identifying as a certain role or as a certain person. And so much of this is culturally rooted as well. When I was in LA last year, I was talking to someone who was visiting from Spain and I could not think of anything to say other than what do you do for work? Yes. And she laughed about it because I was like, oh, I'm sorry, this is so American. And she laughed about it. But it's so true. We think about those things because they're so cemented in just how we interact with the mm -hmm. world socially. That can be a really hard thing to get used to switching. And I think especially with entrepreneurship, sometimes I call it the cult of entrepreneurship that's been happening mm -hmm. over the past like 10, 12, 15 years where it's such an all-encompassing thing. It impacts how you see yourself, how other people see you, who you hang out with. The things you do are just so anchored in being an entrepreneur. And to let go of that, I think, can be really scary. But I love hearing that you found your match in this new role where it doesn't feel that different. It's just been more of a difference in terminology, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Whose name is on me? the incorporation forms, right? <laughs> exactly. Do you have any advice for entrepreneurs who are considering a return to full-time work? The first one is a reminder, you can always start another business. I actually, when I was coming back from maternity leave and having all these questions of who am I, what do I want to be doing? My default was, okay, I have a list of business ideas that I absolutely will start in my life. And I looked at that list and not right now, not right now. It doesn't feel like the time. Now, I also want to write a book. This is not the time to become an author. Based on my life, I didn't want to go on a book tour. I just had to be very realistic of, I love these ideas and I will be this person. I will do these things. It didn't call to me at that time. So I think the biggest thing is you can always start another business. So that's the first thing. People always say, how did you move to Miami? Well, one, you can always move back. If you ever want to move, you can always move somewhere else. And I think people say, well, that would be a sign of failure. Absolutely not. Get that out of your head that making a change from one thing to the next is not. Especially because a lot of times entrepreneurs take jobs that are really great jobs. If they were to leave the entrepreneurship, they take a really good job. So it's like, that's a, that's a great thing. That's a value add. That's an opportunity. And so I think just that mindset thing. And then for me, the way that I operate is very strategic. So my path, which I highly advise because it worked well, but again, there could be numerous passes to sit with myself and sift through who I am, what do I like to do, what do I not like to do personally and professionally and try to find overlap. There's lots of exercises like the Gallup Strength Finder Top 5, Hedgehog. Do those activities. Do those and share it with people close to you. I just did this in a group with three friends where we each did our hedgehog activity and then we shared it with each other and we talked through it. And they gave me some tidbits of things, knowing me as a friend that I didn't think of. They validated the assumptions that I made. So I did a lot of self-exploration. I did a lot of sitting outside, just thinking, walking and thinking and recognizing the feelings as I was going through those job descriptions. Why do I feel like this about this? Who are the people I know that are in those roles? So I sifted through a lot, but that's me. I'm an information synthesizer. I take a lot of information and I, I sum it down until I get to a point, I distill it down where I feel comfortable or I feel like it's the right thing. There's a lot of self-exploration, a lot of talking with people very strategically, only a select amount of people, and then putting yourself out there. That's my advice.
I love that. I think that's outstanding advice. Well, Nicole, it's been a pleasure. Where can people follow you, learn more about you? It has absolutely been a pleasure. Thank you, Tanya. And, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share this story. As you and I talked about before we started recording, there's a lot of people going from corporate world to entrepreneurship, but not as many from entrepreneurship back to full-time employment. And I'm happy to share this journey because it is an option and if it suits you, go for it. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my story with the hope that it can be helpful to others. Where people can find me, first and foremost, go to LinkedIn, Nicole Vasquez. You will see me under as the COO of Refresh Miami here in Miami. So you can use those filters. Personally, you can find me online. I'm on Twitter at Nicole R. Vasquez and on Instagram, Nicole Renee V or just look up Nicole Vasquez. Always happy to connect with people. If you have any questions about this, happy to talk through it. And if you have any interest in getting involved with or supporting the Miami Tech ecosystem, please contact me. And of course, if you have any needs for co-working space for you or your employees, let me know that as well. You can also look up deskpass.com for more information. Highly recommend DeskPass. I am a fan. Thank you. Thank you so much for your generosity, Nicole. Really appreciate it. Recently, I was having a conversation with a couple of friends of mine, and we all agreed that for us, this has been a year of recalibration. And a big part of what stood out to me during this conversation with Nicole was that struggle to recalibrate her identity to include both the founder of DeskPass, but also the COO of Refresh Miami, among other identities, of course. I will admit that for me, this has been the most difficult part of my own entrepreneurial journey, namely of stepping away from entrepreneurship last year. That muscle memory can be really, really hard to release. But I echo Nicole's reassurances that it does get easier. And also that there's nothing stopping ex-entrepreneurs from changing their minds. You can always go back. So whether you're an entrepreneur or not, Perhaps that pivot you're thinking about isn't so permanent either. Maybe it's just a redirection. Maybe you too can go back if this doesn't work out for you. Coming up next, we're going to hear from another entrepreneur who has re-entered the workplace, but for slightly different reasons. Be sure to follow on Instagram and or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss her story in two weeks. Also, I'm wondering, are you an ex-entrepreneur or a current entrepreneur rethinking your career path? Follow What Now Proj on Instagram and share your story in a few ways. The first option is the simplest option. Just add your story to the comments under this episode's post. The second option is to share your story on your own page and be sure to tag What Now Proj. And the third option is to send a voice note or video directly to the page. This last option is perfect if you wish to remain anonymous or just don't feel like doing a lot of typing. So just simply slide into our DMs. I can't wait to hear what you share and what resonated with you in this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If this story resonated with you, there's more where that came from. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Got a what now moment you'd like to share with us? Whether it's in the rear of your mirror or you're in the thick of it right now, your story could be featured next. Let's talk. Find the What Now Project on Instagram and slide into our DMs. Take care.